Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to what is the fifth and final episode in my South African wine series. And I am finishing off with the red signature variety of South Africa, Pinotage. So the crossing of Pinot Noir with Sanso, which happened back in 1925. Now, if you've ever heard that Pinotage tastes like banana skins and nail varnish remover, I can with a hundred percent conviction tell you that is not the case today. Now I am talking today to sales and marketing manager of Cannoncop, Deirdre Taylor. I made sure to visit Cannoncop when I was in Stellenbosch because they are definitely considered one of the prestigious wineries of South Africa and they were one of the pioneers of Pinotage. They played a significant role in establishing Pinotage as a flagship grape variety in South Africa. They've gained both national and international acclaim. You will learn all about this variety today, the full history and the story of this grape and of course why and how have Cannoncop helped put Pinotage on the map. So enjoy this episode. I just want to start before we get into the nitty gritty of Pinotage and of course Cannon Cop. What has been your journey into wine? Was it always going to be wine? Was that the destiny? <laughs> I suppose in hindsight it was the destiny, but definitely okay, wasn't yeah. the plan. It definitely wasn't the plan. Yeah, and okay. I think uh, it's amazing how many people happened into wine by accident. Yeah, me I too. Had, I, had, uh, I had every plan to, I was studying at university and I studied industrial psychology with a plan to do HR. Okay. And I realized that in the middle of my second year, HR wasn't nearly as much fun as I thought it was, but I was far too lazy <laughs> to restart a whole new degree. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I finished my degree, but I realized very soon that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, mm. But the benefit was I grew up in Cape Town um, and moved to Stellenbosch to study and Stellenbosch obviously wine capital for South Africa um, I was uh, I, I got a very um, deep introduction to wine from a very young age mm. and I realized that actually wow this is pretty cool I quite like this so I after finished my studies or during my final year I started work at a winery in the cellar door and I quite liked it and you know I've never left <laughs> and the funny thing yeah it's one of those things that um, if you start speaking to people in the wine industry so many people have that kind of story. Uh, yeah. the, uh, mm-hmm. One of the owners of the winery, I mean, he studied law and then decided, he always says he decided he was too honest to be a lawyer uh, <laughs> and came to, came to work for the winery. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And our winemaker wanted to study um, to be a doctor or a dentist or something, and he also happened to be here. But I mean, I, I have lots of these stories of friends in the industry that the, it's like the industry chooses you more than you choose it. It, do you know what it is? You get captured. It's something that once you start that journey, once you start asking a question of, hmm, I love this juice and why does this one taste different to that? And why is this same wine better this vintage than that? Then that's it. You're done. You're done for. Yep. You've been sucked in. You've gone down the rabbit hole and there's no going back, is there? <laughs> 
It's, and it's a, it's a very incestuous industry. Like you, it's large, but it's really small. And I you start agree. knowing a lot of people and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to break, break free of it. I mean, it obviously <laughs> it's a huge amount of work, but a huge amount of enjoyment as well. And, We're uh, lovingly chained, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't wake up in the morning passionate and excited to go sell toothpaste or toilet paper <laughs> or canned beans or whatever. So yeah, very, very happy it's- with this, this accident. Good choice. And so you said you started in the cellar door and never left. Is that actually at Cannoncorp or did you start somewhere else in Stellenbosch? Funnily enough, I started about four kilometers, about two miles down the road um, mm-hmm. in a cellar door at a winery called um, Morganhof. Uh-huh. And then okay, I, went yeah, yeah, yeah. To, I went to work for Nearlist shortly after that. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Um, great brand. And then I went to go and sell a pinotage for a winery in Wellington in South Africa oh, okay. uh, called Dimmersfontein. And I started at Canon Corp from there um, 10 years ago. So September, I'll be here for 10 years. Gosh, you've been there for a while. So tell me, okay, why Canon Corp? Did it capture you or you captured them? I think in this instance, I knew I wanted to work for Canoncorp long before they knew they wanted me. I mean, it's just <laughs> one of these absolute icon properties. I yes, had known Johan and some other members of the team in uh, some sort of, we were quite involved in sort of a regional project, which I did a lot of the admin and the arrangements with um, of this of this ward, of this appellation. So I got to know quite a lot of people from the various wineries down this road and I always liked Canoncorp. I liked their, I mean, apart from the wines, which were which were incredible, I liked the way they did things. And I often said to my husband that if ever I had a chance, that's a winery I'd like to work for. Oh, I love that. That's perfect. And one, one day we were sitting at a, a friend of ours was having a birthday lunch in Somerset West. And we were sitting on the table and somebody piped up and said, oh, did you see that Canoncorp's looking for a sales and marketing person? I my eyes me, were big. Me, and I, tur- I turned. I turned around to Rob and I said, "Wow, can you imagine that?" But at the time, I had um, I had just signed myself into a, a year contract with the previous winery, um, mm. and it was a commitment that I couldn't break. It's it's yeah. not me. So I didn't apply because I thought, "Wait, well, I mean, no way they're going to wait for me." And then about a month or six weeks later, I got a call from a recruitment agency saying, asking me, "Have I?" seen the ad and I said yes I had they said okay well you haven't applied so you're obviously not interested and I said no no just hang on a moment I'm very interested this is my situation and they said well fine if you're the right person they'll wait for you Um, wow and they did they waited for me for six months that's destiny isn't that incredible and actually I apologize I'm calling this winery Canon Cop because I am a mm-hmm. very classy Brit. So I mm-hmm. should be saying Canon Cop. Canon Cop, yes, but that's very Afrikaans. So Canon Cop is absolutely fine. I know. Well, let's see. Let's see what happens going forward. And do you know what? When I came to see you and got taken mm-hmm. care of beautifully, I made one big mistake. I did not get the iconic photo with the famous Canon. Oh, no. I know. So take I- one. You're sitting on the Canon in future. Well, I didn't even get there. I just didn't even think about it. And I regret that massively. So could you tell everyone about the Canon, please? <laughs> so the name Canoncorp, um, it means Cannon Hill. Mm. And if you visited Cape Town and you go down to the city at noon each day, you'll hear the firing of the noon gun, which is a, a cannon on the top of Signal Hill, which is part of a whole series of signal cannons in the Western Cape. 
Mm-hmm. And back in the day, they would wait and see the Dutch trading ships approach Table Bay. And when the cannoneers saw that the ships approaching the harbor, they'd fire the cannon to let the farmers know that it was time to, you know, pack their goods and, and head to the to the harbor for trade. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole series of these signal cannons all the way through the Borland, which was the really the food basket of the Western Cape in those years. And one of these signal cannons was here on this property. And that's how the property got its name. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you're supposed to get a photo and sit on the cannon. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Exactly. I was too busy just drinking the wines. How ridiculous <laughs> of me. Anyway. So <laughs> what do you think for somebody saying, okay, right, Canon Cop, why, why should I be drinking that? Why did you want to work for them so badly? What is so unique about this winery? So I think, I mean, what I knew back then when I started here and what I know now about it, it's, it's actually much better. Mm. You know, when you, when you look at something from the outside, you have a, you have a perspective, but it was a much, much smaller, much narrower one than I do from the inside. And sometimes you're mistaken what you think, you know, what you see from the outside. When you actually get into the nitty-gritty of things, you're disappointed or you feel that you made the wrong, the wrong move. In this instance, it was completely mm. the opposite. The little bit I had seen from the yeah. outside, was nothing close to how amazing it would be once I was on the inside. So I think for me, some of the points about Canon Copper make it special is, first of all, we have to speak about focus. So as a winery, okay. we make we focus on two grape varieties. It's Pinotage and Cabernet Sauvignon. And all of our wines are based on those two wines, either as 100% single rival wines or as blends. So there's a huge amount of focus. Um, there's also a massive focus when it comes to quality. So Aubrey Bierstar, our current winemaker, Aubrey and I have had, we've had at length discussions, sometimes more in agreement and then other times. But his, <laughs> he is absolutely ardently dedicated to quality and if it means wines mm-hmm. being released late or you know bot being bottled later than expected or the volumes being smaller than needed the choice of what goes into the bottle comes first so we will always only bottle the absolute best quality wine and there is no question around that and i i really appreciate it because you know that i know that i can stand behind any bottle with confidence and it's very very seldom that there's somebody yeah. you know our biggest hurdle is getting somebody to try the wine but once the wine's in the glass your, your battles won. Your, your, I don't really need to say that much after that. So I really appreciate that. So focus and then quality. And I think, I mean, obviously, site plays a big role. So where we're located on the Simmonsburg in Stellenbosch, really sort of the epicenter of quality wine production in South Africa, on the mm-hmm. base of the Simmonsburg Mountain, quite low-lying, poorer soils, lots of decomposed granite, various different aspects. Um, we'll chat about it a little bit further just now with Pinotage, but we're on the south-southeast facing um, slope, which is the coolest site um, in South Africa, obviously, and which Pinotage enjoys. So there's various different you know, technical bits about what makes the wine special. Um, but lastly, I think I would like to add that it's the it's really the culture of the winery that I think it's most amazing. And the culture is defined by the team, of course, by the people here, yeah. but largely directed by by the family who own the winery. And, you know, we um, people often expect when they come here, when they meet us, that it's going to be a very serious place. Mm-hmm. Although the wines are serious and the quality is serious and we speak about um, longevity and excellence in the bottle, you know, shoes are optional if you come and visit us. I mean, I have to remind Johan to wear <laughs> shoes when he walks to the cellar door. I mean, you can bring your dogs to work. You can bring your kids yeah. to work. It really is a very casual 
sort of family environment. And people, they uh, they feel that. They feel that with the warmth and the, mm-hmm. the sort of, uh, yeah, there is a, an incredibly warm, happy space to be in. And, and people pick up on that very easily. So it's a combination of a very casual environment with, with extreme attention to, to detail and quality, if I had to sum up. Love yeah, and this is family-owned and fourth generation, if I recall. Yes, it? yes. So the the current yeah, owners yeah. are brothers um, Johan and Paul Kricher, and they inherited the property from their mother, who inherited it from her father Paul Sauer. And the first owner of the of the complete farm was J W Sauer. So it's their great grandfather who was the first owner of the of the property. Mm. And then we talk about the family, but I also want to touch on the winemaker. Oh God, I bet you I'm going to pronounce this wrong. The winemaker Bayers Truter. <laughs> so, so no, Bayers is very, very, very accurately pronounced. So we've had so Canonical turns fifty this year, and um, the brand, the wine mm. brand, is fifty this year. Our first vintages we okay. bottled was in 1973, and since then we've had three winemakers. So the first one was Jan Bolan Kutsier, who's the current owner of Frisenhof. And Jan uh, made our made and bottled our first wines. Bayes then joined us mm. in 1980 as a really young winemaker. Mm. I believe it was his first job, and he's one of the most. Um, he, he really is a lovely man. He's very very warm, very humble, very engaging, uh, very social. Um, in Afrikaans, you would say chaselach. You know, really somebody people love to hang out with, and he loves to hang out with people. So oh, a nice word. Yeah, chaselach. It's it's uh, it's like social, but with an exclamation mark on the on the other end. Um, <laughs> so he was with us for a very very long time, and he bottled, he made and bottled the first Canonical Pulsauer. So he was here from eighty one, um, and he left us. Two thousand and two was his last vintage. So he was here for mm-hmm. a, you know a really good long a good long session, good long stint. Um, and now he owns a winery called Bayerskloof, which is just down the road from us. Yeah. And we actually mm-hmm. still, I mean, Bayerskloof and Kanonkop are very close. And we, we're very involved together in the Pinotas Association. We host a lot of joint events together. We share a lot of importers in certain markets. The teams work really well together. So there's a lot of, a lot of love and camaraderie between the two brands still today. And then Aubrey, mm-hmm. Aubrey took over from Bayers. He joined as Bayers as assistant in 2002 and Bayes was very ill a just before harvest of 2003 oh, so right. we really had a, a baptism by fire um and made made this first vintage um yeah and then when Bayes left he took over as as winemaker so he's been with us now it's these 20 this was his 21st harvest on Kanonkop. so we have a, a really long long tenor with with each of our winemakers yeah and the reason that i specifically mentioned bayers was just because he has really i think brought the attention and the limelight to pinotage would that be fair to say very much so so the first major awards that were that were won by a pinotage wine was one under Bayes. Um, he was, we talk about, mm. some people refer to him as the, as the prince of pinotage. Some people f- to refer to him yes. as the, you know, <laughs> that is, that is, um, how he is, is spoken about. And I think his dedication to the grape variety, you know, was in- incredible. And because of him, a lot of the success of the, the current day success, um, is due to, due to his involvement. And if I, if I also say to you, um, we've got a, um, a trophy in South Africa. It's called okay. the general. It was it was a big deal back then, but it's called the General Smuts Trophy, and he was okay. the the first one to win that one with Pinotage. 
Then also, um, mm. there was the Diners Club Winemaker of the Year trophy that he won in 1987 with Canonco Pinotage. And then in 1991, he won the uh, Robert Mondavi Trophy at the IWSC Awards. And I think what happened in those years, you know, the wine industry was so much smaller than what it is today. The world of wine was so much yes. smaller. The competition was so much less. So uh, big awards like this, won by one producer, it really, they, I mean, even the number of awards that were around, the number of competitions were much less. So a winery winning so many consecutive awards with the same wine, really put a lot of attention on the property, the winemaker and the wine. So that really helped to launch Pinotage as a variety. And Bayer's always made it differently. I mean, Canoncop's quality on Pinotage has been incredible since the beginning. We didn't go through that, I don't know how to say this uh, diplomatically, we didn't go through that, that sort of weird, funky, strange you know, a poor quality period that Pinotage is a variety mm. you know, on, the, on the lower mm-hmm. end where a lot of people experience the variety for the first time. That never happened here. Yes. So we were looked to as sort of the benchmark for the, for, for the grape variety since the beginning. Well, so can we talk about the full story of Pinotage for a second? So for everybody, could you just talk about like its origin and how it was actually created, first of all, and then why it did have a bad reputation? Yeah, so Pinotage was created by Professor Perold. He was a professor mm-hmm. at the Stellenbosch at the University of Stellenbosch, and the cross pollination was done in 1924 um, between Pinot Noir yeah. and Cinso. And for some reason, we called Cinso Hermitage. So that's how the grape variety got its name: <laughs> Pinot from Pinot Noir and Tage from Hermitage. And the first experimental vines were planted um, at a place called Valkefallen, which is not far from us. It was an experimental. Okay. Um, farm which belonged to the university where they ran where they ran tests on soil and clones and rootstock and, and all the rest then those vines were transferred to elsenburg in 1927 and elsenburg is right across the road from us so 500 meters as the ah, okay. Um and the first experimental wine from pinotage was made in elsenburg um, in 1941 but Canoncop then only planted um, Pinotage here in 1953. So it's a very, very young grape variety. It really hasn't been around all that mm-hmm, long. Mm-hmm. If you think of 1941, the first wine made, I mean, the, we've only been making wine from that variety for 80 years. It really is a, yeah. a newbie, a new kid on the block. So initially, we had a lot to learn because we were trying to make Pinotage as we would have made Cab would have made Shiraz back in those years. We didn't understand the grape mm-hmm. variety. So I think a lot of the challenges had to, to do with, um, cellar hygiene. It was rather, if, if I talk about, ah, if I talk okay. about the problems with Pinotage, it's got to do with winemaking rather than the variety itself. Um, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I think it, maybe if I can explain, uh, Pinotage is a grape variety has a naturally high pH. So it's very susceptible to bacterial spoilage and Ah. You need to have really excellent cellar hygiene to prevent that. And also how you treat it, it ferments much quicker than Cabernet does. So all, all of that had to be taken into consideration. But we didn't know that. You know, we had to we had to work with it, play around with it, experiment, see see how it performs, get to understand it. Uh, and I think largely where, where the difficulty came in is when when South Africa when the trade embargo was lifted and South Africa was opened up to the international wine market, which was in 1991, there was a huge attention put on South Africa, and we were all very excited about entering this big world of wine. Um, And we went out with, you know, sort of the entry-level stuff, and that's what people, you know, what what supermarkets and, and, and the like bought. But in those years, our exposure to international 
wine quality, to international wines, to technology, to winemaking technique was very limited. You know, we, we weren't, we were really quite insular for, for many years. So the quality that was coming out of South Africa in those years wasn't the greatest. Um, and also we had mm-hmm. the, the double challenge of not understanding our grape, this grape variety fully. But that all is, I mean, those are, are long gone, really long gone issues to find. Of course, you can still find poor quality pinotage, just like you can find poor quality Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc. There, there are many poor quality wines made from all around the world, but it's not the grape yes. variety. And there are a lot of really, really good pinotages made today um, that I think have really, yes, there yeah, are. really ended that... Um, <laughs> that feeling or I don't know what to say, the, the stigma around the variety. Well, it's because it's interesting because, of course, I remember when I went to study at the WCT mm. school, they would talk about pinotage being if it smells like nail varnish yes. remover or banana skins, that's a pinotage, which is a horrible description and is going to always put people off drinking pinotage, right? Of course. And, I mean, it's also factually not true. Um, I have no, been, I have been through the, the WACD school too, and <laughs> thankfully, the, the thing, thankfully, the uh, a lot of chapters have been rewritten in South, on South African syllabus. <laughs> Do you still find those characters on certain on certain no. pinotages? Not at all. And it's interesting you say that because I don't know if it was a year ago or so. It was definitely during lockdown. I was lucky enough to wines of South Africa. We're doing very big pinotage tastings, virtual tastings, and I got a whole load, six bottles in a row. And I sat and drunk them and analysed them. And my conc- oh, they were all fantastic. And of course, all wineries that are top of their game. But my conclusion, and I remember writing this in an Instagram post, my conclusion was always there was juicy, intense, concentrated fruit, a mix of always black and red fruit. It wasn't kind of one or the other. You know, very often like red plums and black raspberries. And then there was always a smoky element Mm. so it might be a sweet cigar it could be tobacco it could be incense sticks but Mm. something a bit smoky and it would always finish with something spicy as well Mm. Uh, medium body typically Mm. and then this velvety kind of silky tannins and a typically high acidity or, or medium plus and that was my kind of that was is is now my specific tasting note or if I was to describe Pinotage. So I don't know. I mean, what what do you think of that? From you probably drinking more pinotage than me. I think that's that's very correct. Um, I was going to yeah. say that I tend to find I do find a combination of red and black fruit, but I tend to it tends to lean more to the red fruit profile, mm-hmm. but less okay. so than if you were considering you know Sangiovese, Pinot Noir, Gamay. Yeah. It's not it's not in that profile. It is yeah. a, it is darker than that. Um, it also is slightly richer it is a very it's got a very intense sort of um sort of glycerol effect mm, which is okay, it, it yes. gives a slight mm, sweetness mm. even though it's not sugar sweetness it has a slight sweetness mm-hmm. in its use sweet and sour it's I'm, like I'm a sweet and sour off, yeah exactly i always get sweet and sour with pinotage mm. Mm. and then that slight smokiness it could be it's more like uh, like a cigar, like cigar smoke, rather than is the cigar mm-hmm. itself, and it's not the type mm-hmm. of smokiness you would find on sort of gunflint or anything like that. But it, it's a combination no. of that, like a cherry cigar, the smoke of mm-hmm. that with this with a bit of spice or incense. So yeah. it has uh-huh, a very interesting uh-huh. interesting finish, and I think pinotage because of those type of characteristics and its sort of slight sweet palate profile. Um, lends itself to being very food friendly and very pairable. 
And yes. some of the some of the dishes we like to pair it with is obviously South Africa. We have a lot of game, so we have mm-hmm. um, springbok and kudu, ostrich, anything like that works really well with pinotage. Also, wild boar, or um, if I could say, you know, game birds, or even duck. Works very, very well. And then the other spectrum, it also handles seafood. If you think of uh, sea tuna, uh, salmon, we often serve yes. it with sushi. It works well with that too because it doesn't have an intense tannin structure. The tannins yeah, are the velvety, exactly, silky. exactly. Mm-hmm. It's not like cab that's going to that's going to um, doesn't fight in your palate with those wine or with those foods. Um, and then also, we often refer to it as sort of Asian style dishes, but that's very broad. But if you can think of like a <laughs> Like a beef uh, soy stir fry, um, yeah. with a bit of umami kind of character that works really well mm-hmm. with with pinotage as mm-hmm. well. And if you, as soon as you put sort of soy, um, I've done an amazing dinner in Tokyo once. We had uh, beef done with smoked soy and wasabi. It was incredible. It just makes that yeah. fruit profile really just leap out of the glass um, of the pinotage. But it's interesting you say that because again, you know, when I said to you, I always get this sweet and sour note very often in my tasting notes for pinotage, something like soy sauce might Mm, come up, mm. something like five spice might come up, something like balsamic vinegar might come up. Mm -hmm. These kind of flavors and aromas very often are in my tasting notes for pinotage. So it's, I love the fact that you're saying that those kind of foods are perfect pairings and Rick you're forgetting the most obvious one but I felt like you obviously decided not to say it Bri, a yeah. good old barbecue <laughs> well in my defense any of those meats or fish we would cook on the bri, on bar, so yeah, yeah. yeah yeah no it's, it goes with yeah it goes without saying right? yeah yeah uh, dear me. and then also just to mention if you think of pinotage in its as its status within South Africa or its position with the South African wine industry, there's only just over six and a half thousand hectares of pinotage planted. So it's only just over 7% of our total hectares under vine. It isn't a huge mm-hmm. portion of what we do as, as, a, as a country. Um, and sometimes people think South Africa is all about pinotage. And of course, we, we, we champion our, our, our grape variety, but it's not, um, it's not a significant quantity of what we do. Yeah. Whether yeah, that, no, unfortunately, or it's a significant quantity of what Canon Cook does, but not, not every winery. Well, if anybody is in doubt, they should come to you because mm. the focus is there. So they mm. know they're going to get good quality. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you, though, with the fact that you've got some of the oldest Pinotage vines in the ground, are they 70 years old, your Pinotage? Yes. So we have five or six different blocks of Pinotage on the property. Yeah. Um, the main ones are planted uh, together um, and they were planted around 40, 45 years ago. Um, mm. And that we use for our estate pinotage and those are all south, southeast facing slides. Then we have a, a separate block of pinotage which is um, planted in a north, it's quite low lying but north facing aspect. Um, and that block is the oldest that we have planted. It was planted in 1953, so 70 years old. Yes. And we Crazy. make, uh, yeah, we make a single vineyard wine from that block, which was known as the Canonco Black Label Pinotage. Mm-hmm. And I, I was tasting the 2020 out there uh, when I was in South Africa, and you make about six thousand bottles, right? Mm. Six thousand, yeah. Six thousand mm-hmm. bottles. It's the most expensive pinotage around. Um, it's the highest rated pinotage around, but it's it's. It's special and it's unique, not because we do anything different. In fact, we treat those grapes very similar or completely the same, actually, in the cellar as we do our, our grapes that come in for the estate pinotage. It's, it's really just showing the site 
and you can taste you can taste the difference in the berries. Um, you know, I wouldn't have believed that if somebody told me that, but I've experienced it myself. When you know, my my office is overlooking the receiving area, so I walk past um, tractors and tractors full of grapes every day during harvest, and you taste this and you taste <laughs> that. And the one day this tractor arrived. Um, and I tasted the grape. I was like, wow, what is this? And they said to me, oh, no, that's, that's the black label block. And I was blown oh, away okay. at how different it was in the actual berry. Mm-hmm. So the only other thing that's different is we use, um, we use Burgundian oak, um, two coopers. Okay. The main one is, um, a Burgundy cooper called uh, Tremo. So we use their mm-hmm. barrels for the black label and it gets 18 months, 100% new oak. So it has a, a bigger new oak component than what yeah. our estate pinotage would have. But other than that, the wines are made the same. It's really, it's an expression of the, of the variety, the site, when it was planted and so forth. But I, yeah, I just remember the purity of fruit. Mm. There was just mm. this, the fruit was really shining. Mm. It was so clean, so concentrated. I, yeah, it was beautiful. And how, a bottle like that, how long is it going to age? Or just any premium pinotage? Well, what do you the, think? for the black label, we don't actually know the answer because the first vintage we produced <laughs> was 2006. And last yeah. year we hosted a, a masterclass on the black label. The first time we ever showed all, all the vintages for all the way from 2006. Um, so we opened everything together. And what I can tell you is 2006 is still too young. So mm. it's, it's definitely longer than that. Um, but for <laughs> our estate pinotage, I like the wines at around 10 to 15 years from vintage. Yeah, yeah. That for me is a, a sweet spot where you get complete integration, softening of tannins, integration of acidity, but still, um, a good fruit profile in, in combination with a really nice sort of tertiary savory notes. If you like your wines yes. older, you might want to wait 20 years. Or if you like drinking young wines, then Pinotage is suitable, you know, two or three years from vintage where you have very bright, a bright fruit expression. But I like the 10 to 15 year. That, that for me is the, the complete marriage of, of everything where you get the best of both worlds. And do you find from tasting some much older vintages, mm-hmm. does Pinotage just become much more savory? It does. So we were, we were fortunate. Um, so we, with our 50 years, um, Aubrey and I have been hunting for older vintages and we don't have much from the 70s. So in fact, we have next to nothing. But we were fortunate mm. to, to get back a few bottles of 73 and 74. And 74 was Pinotage. So we opened a couple of those under ideal conditions uh, with Amarim, um, our cork supplier, who could then recork yep. it for us under Argon. And we were able to taste them. Um, and they're showing so well that they, they do become very savory, but savory mm-hmm. in a, in a similar way to what Burgundy becomes savory. So you still have a okay. slightly, um, if I say cranberry or there's a bit of a sweet red fruit profile to it as well. It doesn't yeah. lose that completely. It doesn't become dried out and savory. It still keeps a bit of a sweet fruit savoriness. If I can, if I can explain yeah. it like that, it's really delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a treat to try. I mean, I, the first time I had ever tasted those wines um and i was quite blown away you know we, we were such a small industry back then we didn't we didn't have the cash flow to have to save a bottle we needed to sell everything we could to stay alive <laughs> well thankfully you've managed to get your hands on them. yeah now you talk about the fact that you're still a very young industry mm-hmm. and especially with pinotage 
Are people still experimenting with where to plant and to see how that affects the peanutage? Or is there a bit of a consensus now of there is a really good place, a specific soil, something that's perfect for peanutage? Is there an ideal growing condition? Um, I think if, if you first come to the question about consensus, I'm not sure that there's consensus in any wine industry, especially when you're working with, <laughs> you're working with creatives, right? So winemakers are yeah, like chefs. Yeah, they like yeah. to create and experiment and, and you find out something new every year. What, what I can say is that Pinotage is, is planted quite widely through Stellenbosch. It's planted in Wellington. It's planted in the Swatland and some, some really old vineyards of Pinotage in the Swatland. Um, and it's planted in sort of the Himalonada. Pinotage likes mm-hmm. a certain amount of warmth. It does. It doesn't like very cool conditions. Um, mm-hmm. you know, in fact, it was the, the idea around its creation was because Pinot Noir didn't didn't do that well, didn't survive in very warm conditions, and Professor Perrot really loved Pinot Noir, so he he did this crossing to create a grape variety that could survive in the warm South African climate. But mm-hmm. Pinotage remains an early ripening grape variety. It's early mid-season budding and early ripening. So it's the first of the reds that would come in on, on our property. So it can't mm-hmm. handle too much sunshine. It can suffer from sunburn um, and its skins okay. aren't as thick as, as Cabernet Sauvignon. So I, I think a moderately warm climate probably would be the, the best mm-hmm. answer. Mm-hmm. Parts of the Swatland, you know, in, in um, dryland, bushvine, it can give really good concentration. Um, and those guys out there, they've got beautiful old blocks of Pinotage as well that they're making wines from. Um, and there are more and more wines coming coming out of there from Pinotage. But historically, those Pinotages were used by the cooperatives to make, you know, red blends and dry reds. So, yeah, okay. yeah I, but I think also uh, if I if I can comment on, on the other, on the cooler spectrum, Wines like um, Southern Wright, for example, which is owned by Hamilton Russell, they have mm-hmm. a much cooler site for for their pinotage, um, and it's it's beautiful and bright. So it can handle a fair amount of diversity. I don't think there is a single answer, but okay. it, it's got a lot to do with how you farm it. And then again, I don't know if you know the answer to this. Are people starting to focus on pinotage clones? Is that a thing yet? I don't think so, but I'm not. I'm not in the the viticultural game. Um, mm, we we mm. have only four, I think, registered clones of Pinotage in South Africa. Yeah, yeah, it's so not a lot yet. It's not. It, no, it's not a lot. Um, there's one is an SF with the SFW clone, a Stellenbosch Farmers Winery clone, which is clone 48, which is what we have okay. planted here on Kononko largely. Mm-hmm, um, there mm-hmm. is a 49, which I think is referred to as the Slaley clone, and there's also one with clone 50, but clone 50 or PI 50, that doesn't seem to be in production anymore apparently they had a lot of um, virus issues and they were struggling to get clean plant material to be able to propagate that what they mm-hmm. have done okay. is they've taken vines from Kanonkop and they've propagated Kanonkop material so that's become known as that's the the clone six so you, okay. you are there are producers that have now planted the Kanonkop pinotage yeah. Yay. Okay. Yeah. So Look at you. You will go down in history regardless. Regardless. Yeah. We'll, your own clone. We'll have our own clone. So, but we'll see, you uh, do. we'll see the development. And obviously on each property, mm. on each site over the years, um, vineyards evolve. And clone yes. So a lot of muscle selection is also amazing to keep consistency on properties because yes. you don't okay. really mm. know what you have and how those plants have changed from when you planted them 40 or 50 years ago. Mm-hmm, precisely okay but i think that's still really really interesting that there are specific mm. fine clones mm. and i love that there's a cannon cup clone yes so i think this brings us to the tasting portion yes. of the podcast <laughs> i'm thirsty so 
in my glass so that people don't realize it is just 100% red, I have one of your rosés. So this is the Cadet Rosé 2022. Beautiful color, onion skin, Mm -hmm. pale light. No one's going to be offended. It's the color that people like to see. Mm -hmm. Um, So how are you producing this is this just uh light press is it or is it di- direct press uh, i mean it comes into the cellar we it'll it'll spend anything between half an hour and an hour on the skins and then you make mm. it we make it as you would a white wine so it's really really little skin contact um pinotage you can get quite a lot of, a lot of color out of the skin so anything longer than that you're going to end up with something medium pink which is not what we want um and we also specify on the label that that it's dry because yeah. south africa makes a lot of sweet we make a lot of sweet rosé in South Africa, and we also a market that we drink a lot of sweet rosé in, in South Africa. So we're careful that we, we don't <laughs> disappoint somebody who buys it, hoping it to be sweet, and also that we don't uh, people don't steer clear of it because they think it might be. So it's it's properly stipulated on the label that it's dry. It's made a hundred percent from pinotage, and we buy this is from grapes that we bring in. So yes. two particular vineyards that we farm for rosé. One which is in Stellenbosch and one which is just outside of the Appalachian, just 20 k's down the road from us. And that's why this one is wine of origin coastal. Mm, well, interesting. This reminds me, I was eating a rhubarb crumble yesterday. Mm, mm. There's this real, again, maybe it's that sweet and sour mm. note sort of thing, but there's this rhubarb crumble, well, not the crumble part, rhubarb note um, on the nose. And then an absolute intense amount of like strawberries mm. and cream. I get a lot of strawberries and cream. There's a lot of sort of um, cherry and candy floss. If you think of that, that Mm -hmm. really, if you go to the farm, the farm fair kind of candy floss. And we also have um, a bit of that that orange melon, that sweet melon. And in South Africa, we call spunspick. There's a bit of that character as well. But it has a beautiful creamy texture to it. Totally. It is dry. It's really crisp. It's really refreshing. But my gosh, the prettiness of mm. and the sweetness, as you're saying, like there's even like maybe a floral, like some some mm. rose petals in there. But like the candy floss note, I'm totally getting there. And yeah, beautiful. And I a think big the, old bowl. Of, yeah, tell me. Yeah, tell I, me. I think the most important thing to note here is that that sweetness that you're that you're associating. That's it's fruit sweetness. It's, it's the brain's association with the flavor profile. Yes. This wine is bone dry. It's two and a half grams of sugar per liter. But it has that beautiful mm-hmm. expression. And I think that's why it works so well with seafood. And if you think of serving this with, you know, salmon roses or something along those lines, you get that, the, 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 the saltiness from the fish and the soy and the spices and the wasabi. It just makes that fruit, that sort of floral note to really just leap out the glass. Mm. That is delicious. That is also quite different from everyone else's rosés. I feel that's really quite unique. It's medium bodied as well. So to be so refreshing, but it's not light. It's, you know, it has weightiness to it. Yummy. That is really, that's fun. That's fruity, but actually really interesting. I'm passionate about this. Brilliant. Remember when we we created Mm. this rosé, 2010 was our first vintage. It needed okay, yeah. to fit into a red wine drinker's profile. You know, everything else we yeah, did was okay. red. Mm. We couldn't have just very light, fresh, zesty poolside wine. Um, and our, our customer base is going to think, you know, what's that? So it fits in very, very nicely in its family of red wine brothers. I love this, everybody. This, and what I love even more, 
and everyone's going to really enjoy this, is this is £11.95 in the UK from Frontier Fine Wines. So 11, literally under £12. When people want a dry rosé and they go to Provence, as they typically do, to get anything of actually this kind of quality, you're going to need to start paying at least 20, if not £25. Mm. Probably for the creaminess and the weightiness of this rosé, you'd need to go £25. Um, This is not like a Provence rosé, everyone. This is actually far more fruitier. This is fruitier. But it's dry, it's crisp, it's refreshing, and it's complex. I love that. I'm so happy about this because I I haven't tried this before. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm a Canon Cup rosé virgin, not (laughs) anymore. And a convert at the same time. I absolutely, and I'm going back. Right, okay, so in the same range, Mm. you've got the Cadet Pinotage 2020 Mm. in front of me. So this is a red wine now. We're back to the red wine scene. Um, Can you tell me just a little bit about the this one? So Cadet as a range started um, in 1985. We made it, it started as anything not be, not good enough um, to be part of our top tier of wines, you know, Pinotage, yeah. Cat and Paul Sour. All those barrels that were, you know, that we declassified as such, we would then blend together and we made a wine called Cadet Dry Red. Um, and it was always a Pinotage-based blend and people bought it enthusiastically and realized it didn't take them long to figure out. It was a really affordable wine from a very top winery and it grew in demand. But with, with Cadet, you know, being, being a blend, um, we had received a number of requests from various markets because of our speciality on Pinotage that they wanted to have a, a, a Pinotage, a classic well-made wine made from Pinotage at a more affordable price point because mm-hmm. they were saying, you know, to get people to experiment with the grape variety at on our estate level at, you know, at 40 pounds a bottle or whatever, it was, it was tough. So that's how Cadet Pinotage really started. And Cadet Pinotage is made from grapes that we bring in from about four or five growers in Stellenbosch. Um, we don't own the land, but we farm it with the owners. Um, and mm-hmm. it arrives, it's all hand harvested. It goes through an optical sorter. And then it's fermented in open concrete uh, tanks in the cellar for about three days. It finishes alcoholic fermentation in stainless steel and then goes to barrel for 12 months, um, second, third, and fourth fill. But the idea with the wine is to really ex- once again express the, the show, to showcase the fruit expression of Pinotage. Um, you can keep this wine 2020, you can drink now, or if you happen to forget a case or 10 in your, in your cellar for five or seven years, you won't be disappointed. The wine ages very well. But the idea is that we wanted a more medium-bodied, more fruit-forward expression, less oak and ready to drink younger. But you know, this what I find really interesting about this is it's actually still quite savoury mm. and complex. Mm. You get the sweet and sour note. I'm really getting that now. Like this kind of real sour plums, mm. real intensity of fruit with some lovely strawberries. Again, up, you know, I know you always say you get more of the red fruits. It's funny. I like you always go towards the more, mm, I don't know, more that plumminess always mm. seems to come through, but it's kind of sour. But then what's nice about this, there's this earthiness, like a bit of kind of sometimes like, like this wet soil or mm. this potted soil. Mm. It's a note that I often get in Rioja, mm. Tempranillo that's kind of coming through but it really is it's fruity it's approachable absolutely of course medium bodied but there's that nice kind of little tickle of tannins but it is they're really really soft very 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 fine grain tannins and maybe even like a at that smoky coffee note I think you know on the finish yeah but more lovely like balance. sort of coffee grinds 
than yes, rather than yes, fresh mm-hmm, coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, totally. And and maybe that's the point of the tannins. It's almost like got that kind of you know the the ground coffee mm. edge in terms of how it gives texture on the tongue. That's so lovely. And less than fifteen pounds, everybody. Fourteen pounds eighty. So all of these wines are on Frontier Fine Wine. So it's brilliant. You can you can get all of them all in one hit, nice and simple. But yeah, less than fifteen pounds. And I think it packs a punch for the different complexity of fruit for the concentration and the length because again I can still taste it 30 seconds later still great fruits and that's the point there's always a richness of fruit with these great pinotages I find I'm a massive fan of pinotage <laughs> everybody buy pinotage it's enough no more no more nail varnish remover this is there's not a hint of that in here okay and now then let's compare this to the estate Pinotage, which also happens to be 2020, which is interesting because, of course, it's had the same amount of time in terms of aging and maturation. So, how would you go about producing the estate Pinotage? So, the estate Pinotage um, is produced from the vineyards on on our property. We have about 50 hectares of Pinotage planted. All of it is planted as bush vines, mm. and as I said, they're around 45 years old. Um, our bush vines, in terms of yield, we get about between five and a half and six tons per hectare, which is very, very low yielding. But the focus okay, is yeah. on, once again, on healthy, small berries. You know, we're looking for a almost, a, I say, an ideal or a perfect ratio between juice to juice skins. We don't want the berries to be big because then you're going to get wines that are insipid or, or lacking in character. Um, what I, so when we, once again, we harvest those grapes, it comes into our cellar at about 24 degrees belling. It goes through an optical sorter and then also made in those open concrete fermenters for about, about, uh, three days. And we do hand punch downs or pigeage every two hours on a 24 hour basis. Mm. So two o'clock, four o'clock, six o'clock. It's, it really is, it really is hard work. But the result of it is that you get a wine with a beautiful color and very beautiful, stable, stable color, stable tannins. You know, obviously the amount of oxygen integration helps uh, with with tannin softening and helps with, with color stability. And it results in a wine that has incredible longevity. So if you pick up, we, we had, um, in our, we hosted two masterclasses uh, a week and a bit ago um, in London and in France, and we showed Pinotage back to the, to the mid-1980s. And the color of that 89, for example, was still, still quite red, very little browning, very little, mm. um, oxidation showing there. And that's because of the winemaking method. Uh, it'll then go through mallow in barrel and it is, it spends a further 16 months in 80% new oak before being bottled. And the Pinotage is the only one of our wines that we, that we find and filter before bottling. Do you know? I adore this. For me, this is everything that I expect Pinotage to be. There's, you're going to be so happy. Guess what? Mm-hmm. I get loads of red fruits. Mm-hmm. Loads. <laughs> but everything it's, is it's, a step up. If the concentration is more. The oh, complexity yes. is oh. more. The color is more. It's, you know, it's um, it's on a different level. Yes. As delicious as the Cadet Pinotage is, which it is. Yeah. This is just. This is really a step up in quality. What. When I go back to the cadet, that's when you realise as well it's a bit more savoury. Mm. Uh, but actually, because this is richer and more concentrated, mm-hmm. you've got loads of juicy ripe fruits. There's a lovely perfume. So mixing in with like these cranberry and red currant notes is like a little bit of soy, as I was kind of mentioning, and then lavender, ironically, which is because it has this 
very pretty lift for me. It's very kind of almost explosive fruits on the palette. And there's this like lovely, sweet leather note going on as well. It has these lovely chalky tannins. So again, they're just, you want to lick your mouth, uh, you know, put your tongue around your gums because they're so ripe and they're so yummy and beautiful high acidity. This is, it's bright, it's, you know, welcoming, it's giving, it's such a gorgeous, perfect example of pinotage for me. It really is, hands down, it's gorgeous. Mm. And um, for everybody, it's £31.50. So it isn't necessarily a wine that you're going to crack open every single week, but it's definitely not something that's going to be half as expensive as I think other known premium wines of the world. I think this is phenomenal value for the amount of fruit and the amount of quality you get. I, I'm a big fan, seriously. <laughs> I hope people can understand how yes. much I like your wines. <laughs> oh, dearie me. But yeah, I mean, I, I really think you, you guys know what you're doing. You have the history. And I love the fact that you have the different price points. So for whatever anybody wants to spend, they can find something. And of course, as we said, we have the black label. I'm not sure the price of the black label, but it's considerably more. So that's the um, special anniversary wine for everybody. <laughs> so the, the black label is available in the, in the UK in small quantities. Um, and it trades around somewhere between 150 and 160 pounds. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's definitely a wine that you should save up for because if you want to try something with purity of fruit, yeah. You're definitely going to get it. Um, Didrid, thank you so much for just taking us through the journey of Pinotage. My question as well, when I left uh, your winery, I was handed, which I thought was brilliant, I was handed a little sheet of all the wineries outside South Africa making Pinotage. And there's wineries in California, Canada, New Zealand, uh, USA, even Israel. There's one winery in Brazil. It's a decent amount of people playing around with Pinotage, which is exciting. So I just, my question to you, have you tasted any of the Pinotage outside of South Africa? I have tasted um, the one from Israel and okay, I had okay. one made in the States. It's very, very different. Um, it's um, very different to what, to what we have. And they've been such small plantings. It really is. We say those the grape varieties planted there. It's usually planted by an individual producer or maybe two or three producers. It's, it, there's no, yeah. you know, you're not going to go, go into an area and find hectares and hectares of pinotage anywhere else. But <laughs> it is interesting. Um, I had a chat to a winemaker not that long ago um, from California who was experimenting with a grape variety. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it has been, it's niche. It will always remain niche, but it's done. Um, it's, it's gone a little further than our borders. And it's always interesting to try. We had a, U a Ukrainian, um, producer come up to us at Provine where with their pinotage. So it's always interesting to what? try. Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. And guys are okay. willing to experiment with it. Love it. Anyway, everybody, if you haven't understood by the comments that Deirdre and I have said, pinotage is where it's at. Get rid of any negative emotions or misconceptions. Go and taste some wines and you're definitely going to be safe with Canon Cup. <laughs> conclusion yes brilliant thank you so much um i think i, w I would encourage people to give it a try uh, whether they would like yeah. to try a uh, pinotage as a red wine or try it first as a rosé 
I think the rosé yeah. gives a good indication of the really the grape the, the flavor profile of the grape variety because obviously there's no oak involvement there. Um, but it's something to be enjoyed it, and a very, very food-friendly wine um, that's very versatile and works with a, a whole host of dishes. So thank you so much for putting a bit of focus thank on, on Pinotage yeah. and spreading, spreading the good news. Um, and we hope to see uh, more converts when we travel around the yes. world next. Come on, everyone. We are now Pinotage lovers. Deirdre, thank you so much. I'll see you hopefully at the winery where I can have my photo on the cannon. On the cannon. That's <laughs> a date. <laughs> see you soon. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. So. I hope after these five episodes, you're in love with South African wines. This really was the most favorite holiday I have ever been on. The closeness of all the vineyards. In fact, I never even made it to Constantia. This is recognized as one of the oldest wine producing regions of South Africa and is literally situated in the southern part of Cape Town. So close. I took it for granted that I would have time to visit. This is the region famous for Van de Constance, the sweet wine. So perhaps I will find another reason to do an episode on this at another point. But for now, if you are looking for one of the most beautiful places to see where nature will take your breath away, where you can have affordable luxury and you can mix the sea with hikes, with spa, wine, food, safari and a city break, All of this in one South Africa is a must for your next holiday. So now to finish off with a wine quote, which I can't find who to attribute it to, but it seems the perfect quote to sum up these episodes, especially if you can't literally get on a plane right now. And it is. Wine is a passport to the vineyard, an invitation to connect with nature's canvas. So that is it for today. Next week, I am going to finish off with my final deep dive episodes on sparkling wine for WSET diploma students or those of you just wanting to really get into the details. Please do go and leave me five star reviews on Apple Podcasts if you are enjoying these episodes or if you are listening on Spotify, please give it a rating, share this episode with your wine loving friends and like the podcast on whatever app you are listening to. Now don't forget, to travel is to live. Your passport is screaming to be stamped. (laughs) I shall leave you to start planning your South African travels. You can contact me if you have any questions and want advice on yanina at eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk or on Instagram, the handle is at eatsleep underscore wine repeat. And until next week, my friends, cheers to you.